Hey, good to see you all this morning. Welcome. We are in part four of seven, the seven miracles that John defines. Jesus performed, recorded 34 miracles in the Gospels, but we know there was many more than that. John picks up seven. We're going through these seven. There are seven miracles that are seven signs that point to the reality that Jesus just is not the Son of God. He is God. And they point to his divinity and they reveal so much. And so far, if you've missed any, go by. You can watch online. You can listen online. We have Jesus turning water into wine. Miracle. Then we have Jesus healing a royal official's son, and he wasn't even present. Miracle. And then last week, we had Jesus healing a guy who didn't even ask for healing. This invalid, and last week we picked up what that word really means, by a pool. And so we had that take place last week. And here we are today with one that all of us are familiar with. It's one of the miracles that John picks out that is in all four Gospels. It's like, it's really famous. It's up there. If you were to ask even somebody who's not connected with church about any miracles, they've probably still heard of this one. It's so well known. It's when Jesus heals the 5,000-ish. No, he doesn't. He feeds them. He just gives them some food. But because of the sheer number of people, miracle. Miracle. So I'm going to go somewhere you've maybe heard before, but I absolutely know today you have the opportunity to Hear the words of Jesus, but then respond and live the ways of Jesus and love like Jesus. You're going to see some things today that maybe you've not seen before. You're going to engage in some things today that I know some of you have not engaged in before. And there's going to be a response required of us that who knows what that might mean for you. Who knows? If you came here this morning to have like a nice little, little information share, really sorry. It's way more than that. Way more than that. And so if you brought a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 6. If you haven't, it's on your phone, you can open it up. It'll all be on screen. The text will be on screen for you. But I just encourage you, if you've got a Bible, open it. Then you can see it again throughout the week. You can literally sometimes, as you're reading, sense the words lift from the page. One phrase lifted from the page for me when I was preparing this, which became the anthem to what I want to go in on this particular scripture. I've preached this text before in my 30 plus years of preaching many a time, and yet I knew today in preparing it, I thought, I'm not going to go to my archives I'm not going to go there and find some old notes. I'm not even going to glean from my old research that I've done many years before. They had to stay in the files. I had to come to this fresh and listen, learn, and live out what is best for us. So let's go. I'm going to read the whole text from verse 1 to 13. We, we could go through the whole chapter, but we haven't got time. 1 through 13. And then I'm going to walk us through every single part of that text, what it meant then, what it means now through the whole thing, and then we've got a real seriously big challenge at the end, like really big challenge. Ready? 
Verse 1 of chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Before I break into this, number one observation here, Jesus is into the details. You think this is a big, huge thing. There's details here. He's interested in the details, great and small. That there's numbers engaged here. He wants us to know how great and he wants us to know how small some things are. Don't forget, he's revealing who he is in all of this. But one of the main things we see about Jesus here is he goes to the far side and it's like the people are all coming and he demonstrates basic provisional compassion. That's what he does. Demonstrates basic provisional compassion. He cares about people. He cares about his own people. He's there. So before we dive into it today, let me just say this. We've done it the last couple of weeks and I'll lean in today. You cannot fully follow Jesus on your own. Not only can you not do that, you are missing a critical dimension of the Lord's presence with his people, but you are not meant to. You are called to a family, a body, a bride, an ecclesia. This is who we are, the church. You have to be planted in the house of the Lord. So all you college kids who've just come back the last couple of weeks and you're here this morning, good job. Good choice. Plant yourself in the house of the Lord wherever you go. 
And when you leave school and you graduate or whatever, your number one priority, wherever the Lord places you, is plant yourself in the house of the Lord. Number one priority. Not as a consumer, as an active participant in the move of God in the body of Christ. You need to be part of that. So unapologetically, if you are male, Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. on this campus, every Tuesday from now to the holidays, I will be leading the guys. We'll meet in the student building, which is the one on the end of the campus. We need a bigger space this year for all you guys. 6 a.m. will be done by 7 a.m. We start at 6, I've come before. We start at 6, we'll go through till 7. I'll give you all a warning. Guys, we're going to go somewhere this semester. I'm going to lead you and go with you this semester into places where men rarely go. We're very good at superficial. We're very good at exterior. We're very good at how's life going out here. But we rarely talk about the very dwelling place of God in our heart. We're going to go to the very inmost depth of our being. And already some guys are going, oh, I'm busy Tuesday. <laughs> Women are great at going there. Men don't go there. And the enemy has barricaded that and we've got to break through. This is the very dwelling place of God. We're going to go. We're going to lean in. Looking forward to seeing all you guys at 6 a.m. on Tuesday. Or before 6, preferably. Then you need to go. Okay? So... It's called into the storm, man. You want to register for it, go on our church app. If you register, all good, then you'll get communication about it throughout the week, and we can send messages. I, for one, am more than ready for Tuesday. More than ready. And a lot of it is I don't know where we're going to go fully. Get on with it, Des. Here we go. Let's go. Verse 1 through 4, for starters. Verse 1 through 4. It's on the screen. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. There's a lot in there. Number one. As we know from the other Gospels, this is Bethsaida. The place is Bethsaida. And Bethsaida is this place where Philip is from. It's his local place, as is Simon, Peter, and Andrew. It's from there. It's, that's their neighborhood. Okay? That's where they are. They've gone there. A great crowd is following Jesus. Why are they following Jesus? He says so. Why? Because they've seen the miracles he's been doing. And so they're chasing after more miracles. I've said it every week. I'll say it again today. Don't seek miracles. Seek Jesus. When you seek the miracle before the miracle maker problem, your posture this season, all of us, don't seek miracles. Seek Jesus. Can he perform miracles? Yes, but seek him. Seek him. Verse 5 through 9. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Makes sense. Philip's, it's his local place. Hey, Philip, which local bakery shall we uh, go freak out because of all this order? Like, he, he's going there, but he's asking the local where shall we go? Jesus is being this, Jesus, so much humor. Oh, it's so fun to, oh, can you imagine? He goes there, and then he asks this only to test him. 
for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Seems a little bit mean. Come on, guys, don't we do it all the time to one another? It's all good. Then listen, listen. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. The details, but what's he saying? Like, he doesn't even answer Jesus' question. Jesus says, where should we go and buy bread? Philip doesn't go, like, Panera down the street. Like, he, he doesn't give a place. He doesn't go, oh, I know a guy. This is, like, irrelevant of where. We can't afford that. Like, really? Really? Like, it's not possible. We cannot do this. And Jesus is like, Not possible. Verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Notice the text. Great crowds, small barley loaves. Irrelevant, if it, even if it said five large barley loaves and five large, it's two large fish. But he wants to emphasize this. I'll say this is not cliche. There is nothing too great for our God and nothing too small. I think you miss that sometimes. You think Jesus is not interested in the mundane details. He is absolutely engaged in the mundane small details. But understand this posture. Here's the situation. He brings, Andrew brings this boy. Hey, here's a boy who's got five small barley loaves and two small fish. I won't get into it today, but numbers and all the different connections and why is it five and why is it two and that makes seven. And there's all these different biblical connected numbers which do reveal God's greatness. I can't get into all of that minutia today. There's a lot there though, okay? The five and the two and the twelves and all this kind of stuff, but I want to, I had to avoid that. Shut up there, you nearly went there. Okay, so here he comes with this boy. Hey, He's got this. Our posture, let's just be honest. Just imagine you're the disciples and even Jesus. Andrew brings this guy. Here's thousands of people. This young boy, I'm going to use a little bit of, I think a little bit of license with him. Scholars would agree with this. For whatever reason, this boy sees a situation or overheard a need and went, hey, I got this. I got this. You can have everything that I've got. I'll help. Jesus, do you want me to help? I got all this. You can have all this. And Andrew's like, here's a little guy and he's got this. But how far will that go? What's the point? We may have gone, oh. That's so cool. Hey, but dude, we've got thousands. Thanks, but it's all good. You have that. Thanks for your heart. I love your posture. I love your demonstration of generosity, but you can keep it. 
It's your lunch after all. And your mum prepared it, and I don't want to get in trouble with her. But, but either way, it's not going to really make a difference. It's not going to change much, is it? So thanks, but there you go. We have been, in our lives, me and my family, on the receiving end of what seems to be not a huge amount from somebody. But the moment you refuse someone's generosity, you remove a blessing from their life. Because the scriptures say it is more blessed to give than it is receive. So if you refuse someone's generosity, you remove a blessing from them. I'm just saying If it's more blessed to give, and I don't allow that giver. So I'm saying to you all, a posture of generosity also needs a posture of receiving. Both ways. Get over yourself. Today I'm going to look at the give. Here's a little boy. You can have it all. You can have it all. That's all Jesus needs. All Jesus needs is a heart who just says, you can have it all. It's all I got. But you can have it. It's all I got. But you can have it. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about about 5,000 of them. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now we know, we know it's more than 5,000 people are gathered. It's about the men. What's the men? Little subtle culture thing here, okay? The men sit down because they're going to be the ones of the receivers of this meal. And gathered around the men are those that they have been called to provide and protect. Their household gathers around, or their communities Some of the other gospel writers get into the numbers of the gatherings and how they had to gather. But the men sit down and they take on the responsibility and the men would have been the ones receiving the food that they then would have then given around. It's subtle, but it's there. And I'm just saying to all of you men today is another reminder, you're going to need to receive from the Lord to be able to be what the Lord has given to you to provide. You're going to need to receive from the Lord in your inmost being that will enable you to be the student, the brother, the husband, the father that God wants you to be. You're going to need to sit and you're going to need to receive and then you're going to need to distribute. It's not, this is why we have to slow down reading our Bible. We continue. Jesus then took the loaves gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Here we go. All four Gospels, there's differences in the feeding of 5,000, the way the narratives pick things up. All four Gospels record this though, that Jesus receives this bread and fish and it says, and he gives thanks. We, we miss this because we just think it's a little, says a quick prayer. You know what I mean? He gives thanks. Jesus is revealing who he is, but he's doing something they would have known. A bracha is a Hebrew expression of a thanksgiving blessing before food. Most scholars will believe there's ancient blessings that are there, and people would have thought in the English, most likely this one. 
Praised be you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. He would have declared it, Matthew even says, and lifting his eyes to heaven. Praise be you, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. He's making a declaration. He's making sure that the crowd around him know who's going to provide this. He's making sure who the real chef of this meal is, who the provider is. He's making that little subtle give thanks. Some of you in your life this week just need to pause, have a good look what you've got in your life around you and give thanks. Doesn't seem very glamorous, does it? But it is a doorway of your soul and your heart that opens up so much more. Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, oh, it's a good feeling, isn't it, brothers? When you've had enough to eat, I'm a bit like a Labrador. I can go beyond enough to eat. Don't have a full reflex at times. There's just something good about a belly full. And I know some of you, my wife doesn't get that. She's like, she says she's full, and I'm going, you can't be. You cannot be full. You've had this much. I've got room for this much. Anyway, that gets me in trouble. But when they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Here's the phrase. Let nothing be wasted. That's the phrase that jumped out. And I knew this was the goal. This is the point today. Let nothing be wasted. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Let nothing be wasted. I'm going to reveal why he says that, but the importance. Let nothing be wasted. Some of you are wasting your time. Have a look at the time that you have in front of you. What are you doing with it? Let nothing be wasted. Your time. Then use your gifting, abilities, skills, learnings, information, your talent, it's called. Your, hmm, I just have this. You're wasting it. Is it all about you? And then there's your treasure. And treasure is not just your money. It's all your stuff. All the temporal stuff you have. All of your temporal stuff you have. Let nothing be wasted. I'm going to go hard there soon, but not yet. So here's this let nothing be wasted. They gathered them. Filled 12 baskets. Yes, that relates to the 12 tribes of Israel and the Lord's shown his provision. But there's something that I believe the Lord is revealing in to this crowd and to his disciples that many people forget. The Big C Church forgets it. We forget it. There is a principle the Lord laid down for the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt into the promised land. He establishes ways of living and postures of living. 
And one major one is revealed here that Jesus is picking up with this whole leftovers mindset. Leviticus 19, verse 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. That means foreigner, not weirdo from outer space. Alien means foreigner, not of that land. Leave them for the poor and the refugee, the immigrant. Are you uncomfortable yet? Leave them. For the poor and the alien, why? I am the Lord your God. When Jesus is instructing the guys to go gather the leftovers, he is applying from his father the whole principle, there is always more than enough. If you just want to keep gleaning for you and gleaning for you and gleaning for you. Don't forget, side issue, this is how Ruth met Boaz. Because those people at that time. Anyway, so this is a posture of what we do. And there's always more than enough. If we'll trust in God, it's not all mine. It's not my time's not all mine. My talent and ability is not all just for me. And for sure, my treasure and my stuff, it's not all mine. It's not all just for me. There's so much more that it can benefit and bless beyond what I can imagine. I am the Lord your God. When Jesus says this to the disciples, go ahead and do this, and he fills it all, they're remembering the remez from this particular text, which ends, I am the Lord your God. Jesus is revealing who he is when he goes and does that. And there's more than enough in there. They know, they know the scripture they're going. That's why we won't get to today, when we get to verse 14 and 15, which we won't get to today, it said, and the crowd then wanted to get hold of Jesus and make him king by force. They forcefully wanted to make him king. And Jesus gets out of there real quick. Because he'd revealed something. This miracle that he did in front of them of giving them a meal, but it's what he did and how he did it and what he said. And the crowd just goes, whoa, he's the one. Let's make him king. And Jesus is like, not the way you think. I'm out of here. What does it say in John 6? Same chapter further on. Same chapter further on, verse 33 and 35. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives to the world. So they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. This is all in the same chapter. It's mind-blowing. Let Nothing be wasted. Have you ever considered asking the Lord, okay, Lord, what do you, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want me to, to give? Where? Like time? This is what? Okay, my, my abilities, my whatever, my, my wisdom, what, what, do, what do you want? And then my stuff. Like, what, what do you want? The whole room... 15, 20 minutes ago, was singing, all I am 
is yours. Won't you? I'll stand with arms folded. It's all my stuff. In awe of the one who earned it all. No. I'll stand my soul to you surrendered. And then you all declared it. I'm saying Jesus is going to cash in on that statement today. A little boy just brought all that he had. And Jesus went, that'll do. That'll do. So what does that look like? Are you prepared in these next few minutes to sit and listen to the testimony I'm about to give you? It's not my testimony, it's somebody else's. Are you prepared as I'm sharing this story to listen to the Lord who I know wants to say to you, are you prepared for me to let my grace flow through you? Are you prepared to be a conduit of my heart and love and compassion? Are you prepared to see the brokenness of somebody restored because you just gave this? I want your posture as I go through this to dwell on not what you need but what you have. It is very easy right now to go, I want to be on the receiving end of a miracle rather than the posture of I want to be a conduit, a participator, an active body of Christ engager in it, which is far more painful and difficult. So let me stay with me if you would then. I'm going to do my best to share a testimony of somebody's generosity that they came to me a few months ago and I'd been preaching. They said, I just feel I need to share my story with you. I'd never met the guy. And they come to, at the 9 a.m. to Grace, so he's not in the room right now. And uh, I met with him and we sat down. I'd never met him and tell me a story. And then he told me his story, story. And my jaw kept hitting the table and I kept snapping it back up. And I'm like, oh, wow. And then off the back of that, it was just great. And then two or three weeks ago, he reached out to me again. And he said, hey, you remember, remember me? And I'm like, of course I remember you. And he said, well, that story, there's a piece I forgot to tell you. I'm like, what? It was already mind-blowing. Another piece came and we met and we sat and we talked and, and, and he shared it with me. And I'm like, oh, how good is God? He came and shared it just a couple of weeks ago. And the moment he left, I thought, I have to share that when I get to this miracle. Just beautiful. So, I'm going to do my best with my Cliff Notes version of the story to share with you this. His name's Ray. No names have been changed for the story. This is the real deal. In June of 2003, Ray went to church as he always does. But in the 40 plus years that he'd been married up to that point, at this point, Ray is 66 in the story, in June of 2003. 
Went to church on a Sunday, just he'd always had, but this was the first Sunday in his married life that he went without his wife. He went on his own. There's a guest speaker, and as part of his story and presentation, he just mentioned organ donation as part of his story. And it was all good, and here we go. He's in California, and, and this guy, and then Ray then got up to leave at the end of the service, and quite literally, he says this, when I had one foot outside of the door and one foot still in, I heard this voice behind me say, you have two good kidneys. He turned around, and there's nobody in close proximity. At that point, and this had never happened before in Ray's life before, he went, God just told me I have two good kidneys. I have to give one of them away. Total conviction. I have to give one of them away. Six months prior to this, at the start of 2003, Ray and his wife, Rose, had felt that they were getting a bit older, but they were getting a bit more unhealthy. They gained too many pounds, so they went on a diet and they'd lost weight. Not really knowing why. Moving on. He just has to do that. So he goes home and he says, this is what I have to do. I have to give away a kidney. He hears the voice of the Lord and he acts on it. So he's in California and he finds out, okay, which are the university hospitals which take donors that I can engage in? So he goes to the nearest one, which is Stanford, and they say, no, we don't take altruistic donors. That means giving one for no reason whatsoever, no family member, nobody known, just, just got done on it. We don't do that. Oh, okay, goes to another place, I can't remember where, in California, another major hospital place doing research, and they, no, we don't do that. At which point, I would have gone, I'm off the hook. <laughs> okay, Lord, you said, I tried, never mind. Now, Ray, contacts a third place, which is in San Francisco. Contacts them and says, I want to donate one of my kidneys. And they said, we can help you with that. So then starts a journey which was not convenient and not cheap. He has to take trips up to San Francisco. Day one when he goes up there, he goes there and they meet with him and they go through the whole journey and he, he has to watch videos and all these different things and he's understanding the whole journey. And, and they say, so why do you want to do this? So he tells them why. They then make an appointment with a psychiatrist. <laughs> which makes sense. Like, Okay, but they want to make sure this is all good. This is true. He goes through this and goes through the blood tests and goes through the whole things and this whole thing of him getting more healthy up to that point suddenly comes to light why he had to do this. Did I tell you he was 66 at the time? Not just some young guy, here we go. But going every time up to San Francisco, the cost of the accommodation and the travel and the parking and the community, it's just there. And, and Ray's not a, a man of wealth, and, but he just had to do this. And so all that journey, and as they get towards the date of when it's going to be the actual transplant, and there's a few days there, he's like, well, I want my wife to come and, and be around. It's going to be crazy expensive. And he has this idea. He, he'd worked, he's retired, then he'd worked for the Prudential for many years, and he thought, they've got an office in San Francisco. I know what I'll do. I'll contact them and see if there's somebody who lives within a couple of blocks of the hospital that maybe my wife could go stay and we could have that. That kind of would be cool. So he reaches out to them and he calls them and they, and they're like, they got back to him. We're real sorry, but all of our 
team here live in the burbs. Like, we're not here. Like, however, we have this other branch of Prudential, the investment group, and here's a name and number for somebody there you could reach out to. Maybe there's somebody there who does and who could help. This is, right, okay. They give them this guy's name. His name's Kevin, and they say, call him, and he's a manager in this thing, and Ray calls him and explains his situation, and Kevin goes, I have real compassion for this because my son has struggled with kidney issues, like of all the people. And he hears a situation and he just says, and he contacts him back and he says, okay, here's all the places that you could stay within close distance of the hospital. Tell your wife to pick one. We'll pay for it. Remember Kevin, because he comes back at the end of the story. There's more. Ray's got grown up son and daughter, and they're going, Dad, bad idea, this whole bad idea, this give a kidney thing. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You're like, you're retired, you're 66, why are you going to do this? You only have one left. What if something goes wrong with your one kidney left? And he says, it's okay, I've done the research. Apparently, if you are a donor and something goes wrong with your one left kidney, you go to the top of the list for a donor. And they're like, and? Like, he's like, so it's all good. They're like, that's no good. He's like, sorry. God said it, I'm doing it. Leans in. All the different people around him are going on with that. He hears the voice of the Lord on a Sunday in June of 2003. On the same Sunday in June of 2003, a woman called Kay, who is on the needs a new kidney list, just so happened to be there, and she'd been researching about kidney donors, and she discovered that if you receive a kidney from a live donor, it is 92% successful. So she just went before the Lord that Sunday and cried out to the Lord, oh Lord, I know you're gonna provide for me a kidney, but I'm just asking, can you provide a live donor for me? On the very same Sunday that as Ray is leaving his church building, the voice of the Lord comes. They know all this because they've met up obviously in the story. They're like blown away. I need to move on. Fast forward. On November 6th of 2003, Kay received Ray's kidney. Body accepted it immediately. She made a full recovery into full health. It's been 20 years since that donation. And every year, Ray has to go for a medical check, and he goes for a medical check, and sometimes they don't always see the small print in his notes, and they go there, and more often than not, they come back with his results, and he's now 86, is Ray. And they go, and they go, okay, everything's good, except your kidneys are only functioning at 80%. And he goes, on one kidney? 80% on one kidney, and, a, and a, oh, oh, wow, wow. And he's just like, wow. Ray was here in the 9 a.m. And his wife rose. Put up the photo of Ray, everybody. Put up the photo of Ray. It was me and Ray, me and Ray just a couple of weeks ago. Keep it up there. Keep it up there. There's more. 
I told you about Kevin, yeah? Kevin, the guy who's just some guy you'd never really met, Ray at all, and he's just like, here we go, and I'll pay for your wife to stay somewhere, blah, 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 blah. This is what Ray came back to me a couple of weeks with. I got a letter that Ray had sent me, this letter that Kevin had sent to him. I'm gonna read little parts from it. This was sent to him in 2015. Ray had kept sending Christmas cards to Kevin and people who were part of this journey. Ray, I can't believe it's been over 10 years since we connected regarding your benevolent kidney donation in San Francisco. You should know that your gift of life, driven by your faith, was a significant event in my life. It really goes without saying that your courageous gift was life-saving for the recipient, but had an inspiration to so many around you. But there is more. Personally, I was touched by your faith and the calling you had to do something more. Your connecting with me helped me better connect with the National Kidney Foundation, where I subsequently spent years as a fundraiser, board member, and eventually became the president of the National Kidney Foundation board. This allowed me to serve and support a community that was also working to help and heal our own son who has had kidney challenges. It has also helped to further open my own heart to my own faith, to what my personal calling may be, and to what gifts I could give to the glory of God. More, for me, you helped create a cycle that has helped call me to be closer to God, to better serve others. Oh, what about that? Love the Lord your God and love others as yourself. As well as to see my son grow out of his own health challenges. You also served as a good example to me on how much we all have to give. I'm also sure that many others can recount stories, blessings and more that came from your wonderful gift. It is amazing how many wondrous things came from your generosity. So this morning, friends, we ask the question, is it possible for the Lord? Rather than, and you can today come and receive prayer if we need a miracle breakthrough, but I want our initial posture to be this. I believe the Lord wants to place on every single one of our hearts, what do I have? I've been singing all I have is yours. What do I have that you would require me to give, Lord? Let nothing be wasted. My time. And, and because of the impact my wife is having, having on me in these last certainly five weeks, I'm discovering just how much time we can redeem. Incredible. My time, my, my talents, the who I am, the what I have, my, 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 my brain, my whatever it is I've got, and then my stuff, and my stuff. I mean, for Ray, the reason Ray doesn't tell his story to all of us up here today, why didn't I get him up here? because it takes about Ray about five seconds to get emotionally overwhelmed whenever he tells a story. 
It's just a beautiful thing. He just can't believe that the Lord chose him. <laughs> He's like, me? He can't believe that the Lord chose him and the impact of that. And it's just beautiful. And so is it possible that Jesus is saying to you today, give me that. It may be all of them, your time, your treasure, and your stuff. It doesn't need to make sense. You don't even need to know the recipient of it yet. Maybe the, the act is, no, I want to demonstrate this, and I'm, I'm going to generously give, and and, and maybe if it's, if it's your, this is not some like prosperity gospel thing at all. But if the Lord said like, give it, then bring it. Bring it into the house if you want. But the Lord could place on your heart a person. Some of you got a car, the Lord says, go on, give it. Whoa, Des, I'd have to walk. Get over it. If the Lord says it, so what, I don't, I, I'm not going to restrict what the Lord can say to you. It's your time because you're wasting it. You're wasting your time. Right, look at your time. Your talent, your treasure. What would it look like if the hundreds upon hundreds of people in this room right now all went away and just heard the Lord and went, okay. I'm more than happy to be like a little boy who saw the need and just went, Hey, Jesus, this is all I have. You can have it. It's all I got. You can have it. And it may seem so minuscule compared to the need. Don't you ever underestimate what the Lord can do with five small barley loaves and two small fish. He declared at the end of it, I am the so this is what we're going to do today. I'm going to close this and I'll keep talking. We're going to, I'm going to pray for us all. We're going to have a song that will enable you and you sit and listen to the Lord. You can sing at the same time. I engage in it. Okay, Lord, what is it? Don't dismiss anything. You may want to make a little note to yourself. You may want to send you a text message to yourself. You may want to just, just well, what, what is it? Well, I, it doesn't need to make sense. Do you think the little boy thought that his little lunch would feed 10 plus thousand? No, he just brought it all. Do you think Ray giving a kidney did the impact that just goes beyond? Do you think that 20 years on, he did it so, oh, in a church one day we'd tell his story? No. Did, wow. So listen. Pray and then obey. Then obey. There is always more than enough around the edges and left on the ground for those who need it. And then after that song time, prayer partners, elders, be alert. When that song is coming to a close, get out your seats like Usain Bolt and get down from. Okay, get down front because then in the next stretch of time and praise and worship, you can come forward for prayer. One, to say, I feel the Lord's put this on my heart. Will you pray for me in it? To bolster that so the enemy doesn't steal it. 
Two, you may be in need of a miracle. Come for prayer. Three, some of you are thinking, I'd like to go for prayer, but I don't know what to ask. I just want the blessing of the Lord. Come, we'll, we'll, we'll bless. We'll just bring a blessing over you. It's fine. It's good. It's all it is. Come, don't, don't hold back in that culture. And that will take place. You get it? Okay? All right. Let's pray. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you to this posture. All I have is yours. All I am is yours. Let us pray. King Jesus, I give everything and everyone to you. I give everything and everyone in my life to you. Here we are, Lord. Place upon our hearts and minds what today you would have me do. For your glory, for your purpose, for your name, for your joy, for your grace to be seen. In Jesus' name, amen. You can sit, you can stand, you can kneel somewhere, you can go wherever you want in this opening song. But listen and do.